This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 242. Today's episode is all about the quiet power of humility. And with social media, we have the opportunity to be perfect. And we have this expectation in our mind that we have to be perfect because we have an infinite number of tries to get it just right. And so those things created a pressure for us that raise an external standard of what it means to be validated, what it means to be worthy, what it means to be enough. And I think humility is liberatory. I think what humility does is it centers us on a sense of security in which we remember that our sense of worth and value is inherent, that we're already loved we're already enough, we're already worthy, apart from what other cultural standards around us might say or any type of standard we have to reach. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. It's a new day, a new episode, and a new opportunity to subscribe to the podcast. You're listening for the first time. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you always know about new episodes. Plus, it makes you one of my favorite people. Because the more subscribers I have, the more I attract amazing guests to help better serve you. So don't forget to subscribe. Whatever happened to humility? Before finding this guest... I'm not sure I had even heard the word humble in years. (laughs) I remember hearing it when I was younger, but I feel like it's just been forgotten because maybe it's no longer relevant in the way that people live their lives. Instead, everyone in the world seems to have their own personal brand. This is who I am and what I've done and how I look and what I think and everyone should follow me. I'm not judging. It's the messages we get. It's what we see everyone else doing. And then we're rewarded with dopamine in the form of likes and comments and sometimes even brand deals. And the cycle continues. The algorithms feed our narcissism. And as we've heard in several recent episodes, we're literally living in a narcissism epidemic. It makes sense. Humans are creatures who learn and evolve. So if our environment is constantly rewarding negative traits, without conscious effort, we're going to move in the wrong direction. It reminds me of my worst relationships, and I've had a few. The one who cheated a lot, the one who was secretly on meth, oh, and robbing houses, the one who would get drunk and say I was his girlfriend and then sober up and change his mind. (laughs) Yeah, lots of drama there, on both sides. I'm definitely not claiming innocence in the drama because it took me a while to realize it, but I fed off of it. He'd do something stupid, then I'd get hurt and upset, and then he'd be super apologetic and beg for forgiveness. Well, in 2011, I had a pretty healthy relationship. We weren't right for each other, but overall, he was a good guy. I would just pick fights because that's what I was used to. It took me a while to realize, but I didn't know how to feel loved without the drama. I didn't know how to feel loved unless someone was begging for forgiveness and telling me how much they couldn't live without me. When else would I even get that kind of love? Which means that the way I felt loved necessitated the really low lows too. I didn't even know how to feel love without feeling that up and down pull. Like, man, this is so stable. Maybe I don't like him that much. So what does this all have to do with humility and narcissism? Because it perfectly illustrates how good humans can breed bad behaviors based on what they're rewarded for. So if society is built to reward narcissistic behavior, how do we consciously choose to balance out? And I think the first step is to hone in on the rewards of the better way. We need to know in our souls that it's worth it. So today we're talking about how and why to be humble. Our guest is Daryl Van Tongren, 
He says that in its true sense, humbleness is the happy medium between self-denial and self-obsession. It grants the holder an accurate view of reality. How powerful is that? By seeing where we have room to improve, we can grow. By admitting our doubts, we can learn. And by acknowledging our own worldview as just one of many, we can truly connect with others despite our differences. So three key things we will learn are the common barriers that make it hard for us to look at ourselves in an unbiased way, how to ask for feedback and respond non-defensively, and how to embody humble ambition. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. And now let's welcome Daryl Van Tongren to the show. Thanks for having me. So what inspired your focus on humility? Well, I had been doing research on the topic for about a decade, and it felt like it was kind of right about time to help spread the word. So, you know, a lot of scientific research has suggested that humility is really good for our health, for our relationships and at work. And it just felt like now was the time to help get the word out about the powerful strength of this ancient virtue. Why do you think that humility hadn't really been widely explored before? I guess before you. <laughs> well, first, I'd like to say there's, uh, I'm one of kind of several scholars who are doing research in this area. So it's not just me, but it is more of a recent phenomenon in the research field. And I think that's because two things. The first is, I think about in the 80s and 90s, a lot of researchers focused on self esteem. And they thought if they could prioritize self esteem, then that would solve a lot of social ills that a lot of people were facing. So they thought, let's get people's self-esteem as high as possible, and then we should see you know, aggression go down, a lot of uh, isolation go down. But the problem is we're more isolated, we're more anxious, we're more depressed than we've been, and narcissism is on the rise. And so if anything, this focus on self-esteem has backfired. The second thing is culturally, I think we live in a society that rewards narcissistic self-aggrandizing. So we're told that we need to build ourselves into brands. We need to promote who we are. And our value is inherently linked with external standards, such as likes on an Instagram post or retweets uh, if you're a Twitter user. And what what that's done is we've put our value into other people's hands. And so because research was focused on self-esteem and because we have a, a cultural uh, context where really the the moving sidewalk is moving away from humility. I just think humility has been a little bit of a hard sell. But what I hope to argue in this book and, and chat about with you today is I think really humility is exactly what we need right now. And it can transform our lives. It can transform our relationships, our work. And I do think it can transform the societies around us. For some reason, narcissism just keeps coming up these days. And it's probably because, as you said, it's just been on the rise. I know you mentioned in your book that Jean Twenge said that it's been increasing since 1982, which gives me pause because it seems so clear that it was, would be related or linked to social media and guarantee it is. But at the same time, it was rising way before that. So I'm curious to get your opinion. Way back then, I was negative three years old. So <laughs> so were we given the same message that we have to make ourselves into a brand? Because that seems like it definitely went hand in hand with social media. What was the message back then that started it, do you think? 
Yeah, and that was the year that I was born. So I, I, I won't try to take that personally, right? That you know, the year I was born, narcissism starts uh, rising. Um, <laughs> it was you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you know, I do, I do think part of it is the shift of the emphasis on self-esteem. I, I think that these have, these messages have really just kind of started to become baked into our American culture. And I also think that other individualistic countries around the world have seen similar rises, but not to the degree in the U.S. And then I, I think you're right on that social media has made it easier for us not only to promote our brand, but it's done something else. I think that we have a good analogy for when people were uh, experiencing virtual work during the pandemic. So we'll go on a, a quick little example here. So I'm a college professor. I did during the pandemic, my courses were virtual. And so I would hold class virtually. And if I would have a whole class in real life and I made a mistake, well, you, you can't have a do-over for real life, right? You just do it and then you say something something wrong and the student says something and well, you kind of you move through it. But then if I was ever recording a class, it took me four or five times as long because I want to make sure everything was perfect. And with social media, we have the opportunity to be perfect. And we have this expectation in our mind that we have to be perfect because we have an infinite number of tries to get it just right. And so those things together, I think have created a pressure for us that raise an external standard of what it means to be validated, what it means to be worthy, what it means to be enough. And I think humility is liberatory. I think what humility does is it centers us on a sense of security in which we remember that our sense of worth and value is inherent, that we're already loved, we're already enough, we're already worthy, apart from what other cultural standards around us might say or any type of standard we have to reach. That's such a good point that I'm just picturing even myself, like how many of the exact same photo do I have, except for you can almost see the eyelid blinking because I took like 50 in a second. That's right. And it's funny because I have multiple Instagram accounts and I tend to like, I used to, I don't anymore, but I'd like be done with a phase of life. And I'm like, well, why am I now starting this with all these old photos? And I was a huge party girl. So my first Instagram account was just a giant shit show. Like, I don't want anyone seeing that, like scrolling through Mind Love's Instagram and being like, what is this back in 2011? (laughs) So I just got a whole new account, but I somehow came across it the other day because I realized like somebody showed somebody was following my old account. So I clicked on it and I was like, oh my God, the standard of photos even from like old Instagram, the very beginning of Instagram when they used to just have these really intense filters and it would like blur everything around the single spot that you'd zoom in on. And now it seems like everyone's a photographer. <laughs> like, like, where did you get these skills? You're 12. <laughs> right. Right. And those are the, and unfortunately our minds haven't evolved uh, for that type of comparison, but that's the type of world that we're living in. And so we really do expect that everybody be the best at everything that they have the potential to be good at. So, right. So if I post something on Instagram, I have to be the best photographer. I have to have the best lighting. I have to look the best. I have to, right. I have to look super attractive and interesting and all. And all of those things, we tend to compare ourselves to the best features of other people. And when we do that, we're always going to come up short because I can never play basketball like, we'll pick any basketball player because I'm terrible at basketball, right? Or I can never be as good at really anything as someone who's an expert in that area. And, the, and so what that does is we're always moving the goalposts for what it means to be enough or to be valid, And that can feel so constraining. And that's kind of what humility helps people break out of, is that cycle of getting stuck in those traps of trying to find validation externally. Given that so many of us are stuck in these traps and and it's hard to even see, we just know that we feel it. (laughs) Because it's like we feel that comparison. We feel our minds always looking at the things that we should have, even the ads. I mean, I feel like I want everything I see. And I'm like, why? How is the algorithm this good? Like, <laughs> And so, but we're living in this like bubble where it's just at us and we can even have the realization like, uh, all right, we're going in this direction. We need to come back. But everything that's happening seems to reinforce those behaviors that aren't necessarily good for us. So I feel like we should start with something that it seems like we've forgotten what it even is. Like, what is humility and what does it look like? And now for another episode of Lies We've Been Told About Our Health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? 
Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero-sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself, and it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month, and their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to Indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What is humility and what does it look like? Yeah, I'm glad that you asked that because I do think that humility often gets a bum rap and it's a tough sell, right? For me to say, hey, be humble, trust me, you're really going to like it. A lot of people kind of <laughs> look at me sideways and they're like, really? So let me define humility in two different ways. The first way I'll, I'll define it is that humility is about knowing yourself, checking yourself, and going beyond yourself. So to know yourself, it's to acknowledge your strengths and your weaknesses. What am I good at? But what are things I'm not so good at and I might need some help? Checking yourself is when you have that selfish impulse to do something and you can restrain your ego. So instead of jumping in and taking credit or turning the spotlight back on you, can you, can you reel that in? And the third is to go beyond yourself. So don't just think about your needs, but think about the needs, the perspectives, and the experiences of people around you. So that's not saying that your needs don't matter, but they don't matter at the exclusion of other people. It's a mutuality between you and other people. If you want an even simpler definition of humility, it's being the right size. So it's not being too big, but it's also not being too small. Because here's something that I've, I've seen happens. If I share about humility, people who have oftentimes been marginalized or haven't had privilege or power or who have been oppressed, they see humility as, as something that's uh, oppressive and, and constraining. But humility is being the right size. So for some people, that means regulating down, so kind of downsizing. So, it, And then for other people, it means sizing up. So taking up the space that you deserve because of who you are, because of what strengths you bring to the table. 
So it's about being the right size and it's about knowing yourself, checking yourself and going beyond yourself. It's so difficult to achieve that balance. And you're right, we're given so many mixed messages. And it takes me back to when I was working in the startup world and even the corporate world before that. I feel like we've made such progress with equality for women and minorities and whatnot, but it's still not there completely. And and two of the companies I'm thinking of that I worked for, even if there were women at the top, there were limited spots for women at the top, it felt like. Maybe that's not the case. Maybe that's just how the cards landed, but there wasn't many. There wasn't nearly as many as men. And I remember reading a book that kind of taught me, I don't remember which book it was, but it kind of taught me that I need to really stand for my own value. I need to make it clear the things that I'm doing on a daily basis, the skills that I bring. And I started doing that. And honestly, it did help. It and and I felt like I had to boast or I had to like brag about the things that I was doing in a, in like a professional tone if that makes sense. And then all of a sudden, I started to move up the ranks. I went from like social media manager to like marketing manager to product designer to VP of marketing after talking myself up in front of all these men. And so then we talk about humility and and it's, so where does it lie with that? Where's the balance of also not just knowing your worth, but in certain environments having to speak up because it's not as naturally recognized as if I was like a straight white guy sitting up there. <laughs> and so what do we do about that? I think what you described perfectly hits the nail on the head. It's possible, and I'm just going to venture a guess here, that based on what you were describing, for you, being humble meant sizing up, taking up the space that you deserve to take up because you had been raised with messages that you needed to take up less space. And so by knowing yourself, by knowing your strengths, by knowing what you brought to the table, by being your right size, that's actually being humble, having the security of knowing, you're like, hey, I have to share this with you because these are my strengths. This is what I bring to the table. It transformed your work. And I would say you were right-sizing. And for you, it felt like you were bragging, but perhaps that was because culturally you were always told, be quiet, don't bring any attention to yourself. And humility isn't, isn't that. Humility is not about being deferential. You know, the, the arrogance is a ditch on one side of the road, but being completely passive, being uh, exploited or a doormat or not really having any opinions, that's the ditch on the other side. And that's not humility either. So humility is that golden mean of taking up that right size. A, a second thing I just wanted to quickly mention, I worked with an extremely bright undergraduate student, uh, Carolyn Preeby, and she did her senior thesis on gender differences in the perception of humility. And what she found is in the workplace, women pay a penalty for arrogance by men. So women who talk about their accomplishments to the same degree that men do are viewed by men as more arrogant than when men share those same things. So it's an unfortunate, it's a tragic bias. It's something that we need to work to overcome, but it's worth being aware that when women are just taking up the same amount of space as men, they're often viewed by other men as being arrogant, even though they're actually just taking up the space that they should be taking up. That's really fascinating because I feel like I used to believe, or I've, I've always believed, that humility looked a specific way all the time. But what it sounds like is that that's just one way to be, and it's actually more of a balance of your own perception of your power. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that humility is absolutely context-dependent. So what it would look like to be humble in one context might also look differently in another context, and it might also look differently with other people, either in the same context or in different relationships. And I think the idea of a balance of not being narcissistically or arrogantly conceited, but also not being so self-deferential and self-deprecating, because I'm sure you've also heard people who are falsely modest, like, oh, me, oh, it was nothing, you know, I just, I just got a silver medal in this, it was, it was no big deal. And when people do that, Think about all the other people who have worked hard that it, it delegitimizes their hard work. Or if they say, oh, that was nothing, what they're really doing is they're fishing for more compliments. So that's not humility either. That's some type of weird false modesty. And so I think you can truly be confident and humble. And sometimes it's how you engage others, how you hold your beliefs, how you invite other people to the conversation or into the table, how you share your credit, how you share your power that can be humble. Yeah, it reminds me of a video I saw. I think it was Mel Robbins' Instagram and she was like coaching a woman. The woman stood up at one of her events and 
And Mel asked for the intro, like, so who are you? What do you do? And she starts talking about herself and she's like, and I am fortunate enough to be running two million dollar companies or six figure companies, something like that. And Mel was just like, stop right there. You're fortunate enough. Like these just fell into your lap. Like, come on. Like these are the things that kind of hold us back from ourselves because we're just like, oh yeah, like I didn't work 20 hour days for years at a time for this. And and so on one hand, it makes maybe that energy felt better that that's what she's been raised with. But on the other hand, as you said, people are sitting in the audience and it's like, I've been working damn hard and my company's only making 20,000 a year or whatever. I thought that was good and you're just fortunate enough. <laughs> right, right. Or, or if, it, if, you know, if we're conveying messages that it, it's not at all about hard work or it's only about fortune, that can be kind of disempowering for people who are putting in the work. That can be disempowering, like you said, for people who are um, trying their best to change their situation. You know, perhaps another way to potentially have thought about that is to say, hey, here's, here are all the people to whom I'm grateful that have worked together with me in order for us to collectively get here. And maybe that would have been a place where gratitude could have helped share credit among the people who kind of also pitched in that hard work. And again, not, you know, having not seen the video, I'm not quite sure. Um, but I agree with you that it's certainly not discounting hard work. I don't, I don't think that's humility. Ooh, that's like a humble mic drop. I like that response. But you said earlier that, you know, humility is a tough sell. But you listed so many benefits that I didn't even think to link to humility. So sell us on humility. What are the benefits? Yeah, so probably the clearest benefit is it really helps relationships. So it's one of the best things for your relationships. So we've done research that have shown people are more willing to want to date a humble partner than an arrogant or narcissistic partner. We're more likely to be friends with and want to start a relationship, even just a platonic relationship with people who are humble. When we're in a relationship, with someone who's humble. We're more likely to forgive them. We're more committed to them. We're more satisfied with our relationship with them. When they mess up, we try to repair it. When both partners are humble, uh, they have better both psychological and physiological responses to stress, such as having a child together or getting into an argument. So it's, it's a boon for relationships. And now this is where people on the surface are like, yeah, that makes sense. But then they also say, well, Daryl, come on. When the narcissist walks into the party, they're the life of the party and everyone wants to go hang out with them and, and they're magnetic and people are attracted to them. And the truth is that that is accurate in the beginning. Narcissists are fun to be around in very short doses and not, and as long as you don't have to go home with them. But over time, being with a narcissist is grating because they're always going to make sure that they are superior to anyone around them, including you. And so at first blush, it might seem attractive to be with a narcissist, but research has shown long-term people who are humble are, make far better partners. The second area where, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was just thinking, I've known a few narcissists in my life and you're right. In the beginning, it is fun. And I think part of the reason is because they believe themselves to be so superior that they say all these things and you're like, oh my God, how you must be awesome. I am going to spend more time with you. And then you slowly realize, oh, <laughs> I'm just as awesome as you. You just talk about it all the time. <laughs> right, right. And and you and part of how narcissists make themselves feel better is by putting other people down. And it's it's just exhausting to be around someone whose consistent pattern is just that. So if relationships weren't a big enough sell, a second place where we see it is we, we see it in the workplace. And so leaders who are humble can be far more ambitious. They can uh, move their teams along further and have uh, reach higher goals. Uh, humility kind of works like a social oil. Any place where there's a power differential or the potential for conflict is high, humility helps smooth things out. And then if people in the workplace are mutually humble, productivity goes up, satisfaction in the workplace goes up. It's just a much happier and better place to be when people are humble in the workplace. And then finally, we see in our communities we are at a time right now where it is near impossible to talk honestly and productively with people with whom we disagree. It is so difficult to have conversations with those who are different from us. I can't tell you how many people say they dread going home for Thanksgiving because they and their family members are ideologically dissimilar. Humility can help us approach people who are different from us with a sense of curiosity, seeing that their, strength, that their, their diversity and their differences are a strength, they're not a liability. And they're not a threat to who we are. And in fact, people who are humble can reach out to other people who are different than they are and want to learn 
about their way of life, their way of being, and how they see the world, and try to take their perspective rather than just convince them that they're wrong and they're right. That's way more things than I first assumed. I mean, I feel like I only ever really saw humility as a way to just sort of be more pleasing person, <laughs> you know, but it has so right. many benefits that that are tangible, real world benefits, and not just in our personal lives, but also in our professional lives. And so if we're looking to develop more humility, which I feel like all of us should be since we're all probably creeping a little bit down the path of narcissism, <laughs> just because that's what's being nurtured so heavily in our world. So where do we start? What's the first step to, uh, I mean, I, I feel like it would be developing an awareness of where we're starting so we know how much work we have to do. You're absolutely right. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. That's absolutely the first place to start. We have to know where we are in order to know how much work we have to do. But the irony here is we probably aren't the best judges of our own humility <laughs> because it's possible that those of us that think that we're extremely humble might have the furthest to go in this area. And so that, <laughs> yeah, I'm the most humble person yeah. I know. <laughs> right. There, there's a, a pretty famous narcissist who said that he was the humblest person he knew or maybe even <laughs> the humblest person in the world, which suggests well, maybe he's got some work to do. So that's why I recommend you start by seeking feedback from a trusted source. So you really have to ask someone that you trust, right? So don't ask someone who doesn't know you well. Don't ask somebody who has a, uh, a vested interest in making sure they give you inaccurate feedback. Ask someone who knows you, who has seen you in different contexts. This can be a, a romantic partner, a work partner, a good friend. And you can actually get feedback from lots of different areas, so in your personal life, in work, um, with acquaintances, if you have like a, a running buddy or someone that you do a hobby with. And the more you get feedback and the more you see the areas in the contexts in which you're humble and not humble, that'll give you a good starting place. So seeking feedback is, is job one. Now, here's the thing. Folks are going to say, oh, yeah, great. I'm going to go seek feedback. I have to follow it up with this incredibly specific warning that you may get feedback that you do not want to receive. Okay, so the, the very first interview I ever did on humility, I had a, a research paper that a magazine picked up and someone wanted to do an interview with me about humility. And the interview was only supposed to take 15 minutes. Well, I was droning on and on. It went over an hour. The problem was I had promised my wife that we were going to go to the beach that day. And we were going to head out and we were going to get an early jump on the beach. We spend the whole day at the beach. Well, it should have been an 15 minutes, took over an hour. So my wife made all the lunches. She got everything ready. She was waiting for me to go to the beach. And at the very end of the, the interview, the interviewee, the interviewer says, hey, Daryl, I would love to see, you know, if someone who studies humility is actually humble, ask your wife how humble you are on a scale of one to 10. So I, you know, finish the interview. I, I come back, chat with my wife. She's been waiting and we're ready to go to the beach. And I'm like, hey, the interview's done. Um, oh, by the way, you know, because I'm training for a marathon, can I just meet you at the beach? It's seven miles away. I'll run there and I'll meet you at the beach, but you can go ahead and, and lug all of our stuff there and all the lunch that you just prepared. By the way, how humble am I on a scale of one to 10? Well, you can see where this is going. She gave me a four, which I actually think is pretty generous. Because I mean, as I a wife, that, I'm offended. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. I am too. Like this is, I, I, I hate sharing this story. But the feedback I got, it just floored me. And I was like, oh, you're absolutely right. Like, and four was actually incredibly generous, right? And so when you get the feedback about your humility, try to receive it non-defensively, right? So here's someone who's actually venturing vulnerability by sharing with you how humble they think that you are. And especially if they're giving you unflattering feedback about your humility, they're going out on a limb here. So if they, if they give you this feedback, embrace it. So I didn't want to hear I was a four and I probably resisted the fact that I was a four. But at that moment, that four was, was incredibly generous. And so if we can reduce our defensiveness, if we can listen to that and we can be like, wow, okay, that is diagnostic information. I need to do something with that. The third thing that we can do is we can try to build empathy. And empathy is two parts. One part is taking someone else's perspective. So if I can imagine what someone else is thinking in that situation, my wife is waiting for a long time to go to the beach. I had promised that we were going to go to the beach. And now I ask her to wait even longer and schlep all of this stuff to the beach. That's horrible. Oh my gosh. And the second, besides taking a perspective, is can I tune in with someone else's emotion? What do I imagine someone else is feeling? And then how can that help me transform my selfish motivation into something different? Now, we put all that together. It sounds great, but it is hard. <laughs> it takes practice. I've been studying this for a decade. I want to say I am not the expert on humility. 
it continues to remain elusive to me. And I try each day to be more humble than the day before, but it takes work, right? It takes commitment, kind of like any exercise routine or any skill we're trying to master, any hobby you're trying to learn. You have to put in the hours. You have to put in the repetition. It takes a long time to make progress. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, (laughs) and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, I mean, you said in your book, it's it's not even just that humility is elusive, it's the awareness and the acceptance that's so necessary for the humility. All of it's elusive. And I remember there's been a lot of people who've taken the message of like, I'll use the example, like work-life balance. is It's not balance. You're going back and forth. Or like multitasking, you think it's like balancing two things, but you're going back and forth between them. And so I wonder, whereas we think humility is like this balance of like, confidence as well as really thinking of other people, all that is, is practicing both things equally so that you're going back and forth with them rather than sticking on one side more than the other and being too selfless or being too self-absorbed. And so if you continue to practice, like, let me put others first. Well, what, what do I feel like I'm doing more often? I keep focusing on myself or I keep focusing on others. Okay, well, now it's time to move to the other side for a little bit. So you develop those neural pathways so that it comes more naturally. Absolutely. So, right. If we think about our selfishness as kind of like our handedness, right? So like each of us have a dominant hand, whether it's right hand or left hand, our selfishness is going to be like, if I reach for a cup, I'm right-handed. I'm naturally going to reach with my right hand. If I'm trying to build humility, could I reach with my left hand, right? As that metaphor. So could I try to do this situation differently? And the more I try to be humble, the more I try to use my non-dominant hand, the more I try to break free from my dominant pathways of selfishness toward my new learned pathways of humility, those things are going to balance out. Like you said, will I ever be completely humble and just completely switch my natural way of being? No. I mean, it's, these are ingrained ways. These are challenging, but we can become more humble. Each of us might have different starting points. Each of us might have different places where we're, we're beginning based on our personality, our upbringing, the context in which we're living, the cultural messages we've received. Each of us have different starting points, but we all can make progress to become humbler. So we talked about how we can ask for feedback and then make sure that we are responding as non-defensively as possible. But you also mentioned how empathy is central to humility, And it seems like another one of those skills, I guess you can call it, characteristics that we're just like losing over time, (laughs) especially after the last two years. So what are your tips to build empathy so that we become more humble? Yeah, I think sometimes people can be concerned about empathy in the same way they can be concerned about humility, that if they express empathy or they, they express humility, they really run the risk of being exploited. Right? They're, they worry that if I, if I put myself out there, if I take someone else's perspective, if I care about what they feel, who's going to care about me? 
right? Who's going to take my perspective? And that's fair, right? And there are situations I want to acknowledge. There are situations that if, if one person is always acting humbly, and our research has shown this, and the other person is always acting arrogantly, the humble partner really does pay the penalty for that, right? There can be the risk of exploitation. But then something else might need to happen with that relationship. But if both partners are meeting each other humbly, that's where, that's where the relationship flourishes. And if, if, if humility starts from a place of security, I know that I'm already enough and I've already done my own work to validate my own perspective that I can take someone else's perspective. And even if they don't validate my perspective immediately, hopefully we would work towards a place of mutuality over time, but I don't need them to validate me right away because I already know that I'm enough. I already know that I'm worthy. I already know that I'm loved. And so part of the, the hard turn in building empathy is starting from that place of security so that our empathy towards others can be an outpouring of our own sense of worth and our own sense of value. So I want to see your perspective. I want to validate your perspective because I've already validated my own. I want to, val- I, I want to prioritize your needs so that I can meet them in, in concert with my own. And so we can try to take each other's perspective. So imagine what the other person is thinking. We can uh, try to attune in to someone else's emotional experience, right? So kind of get a sense of what that what the other person is is feeling. Cue into their um, their facial expressions. You know what what are they expressing? Listen. I mean, I think if <laughs> I think if there's one place that we could start that we don't do a good enough job with, it would be listening. Listen first. Don't just wait for someone else to finish talking so you can tell them how they're wrong and why you were right. And then we probably need to just practice it, right? And, and, and it's messy and we're not always going to get it right, but practice being more empathic and, and see what happens and see how that transforms your life. Yeah, I always talk about how I go through like a Rolodex of mindsets or tools to just sort of see which one lands. Like, is this one working? Eh, for yeah. some reason, I keep getting caught up. Let's move to the next tool I know. And empathy is one of those that I've been working on, especially the last few years, because I do a lot of research. So when I come to a conclusion, I feel like I'm right. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been there. And usually when I come to a conclusion that I've researched, I actually change my life around it. So I like really believe this one thing, like these products are toxic. And so I am got rid of $1,000 worth of things and replaced yeah. my cabinet. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so that's where I land. And one of the mindsets I've been practicing is that there is always going to be an entire spectrum of opinions of everything. And so when I come across somebody that I know and love, or even just a stranger that I, they are all of a sudden telling me about this thing going on in the world. And I'm like, yeah, I think the exact opposite of you do of why this is happening or where we're going from here. And instead of all of a sudden wanting to convince them or argue my point, which my whole body wants to do sometimes. (laughs) I've been practicing kind of taking a deep breath and focusing on gratitude. Like, thank you for being the one that holds this perspective because somebody's got to hold it and it definitely doesn't feel right to me. (laughs) Or like, okay, and even adding more curiosity or openness to it by then moving into something like, well, if this is in front of me right now, then there's something in this for me. Maybe the universe needs me to balance out my opinion. Maybe my universe just needs me to focus on empathy or understanding or getting along with somebody who thinks of things exactly opposite as I do. And so then that becomes the challenge for me. That's what I'm focused on rather than just getting my point across to somebody that has differences of opinion. And I might still have all these thoughts going on in my head, but I have a different focus rather than just my tunnel visioned point. Right. And and and, th- and thank you for sharing that. And I love that how you've talked about how you know, you really put in the hard work to change your opinion. Because what I found personally are the people in my life that I usually have the least patience for are the exact types of person I have been in the past. <laughs> and so what I try to do is provide, that, that provides me some empathy is because I get really frustrated with people and then I realize, oh, that was me like a year ago. Oh, that was me like two years ago or like last Tuesday, right? Like I'm really slow for some of these things. And so sometimes the we 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 at least I forget who I used to be, and I, I create an impatience for people who haven't caught up and changed their mind like I had. But what I realize is someone along the way had the patience and empathy to sit with me and explain, so that now I can be where I am now. But if they just would have gone after me and changed my mind, oh, you know, I probably wouldn't have been able to make the journey and, and engage in the self growth to be where I am now. 
And so sometimes my own empathy for others comes from the fact that I'm kind of giving it to myself in the past. Yeah, and all these things, like at least attempting to look at yourself as unbiased as possible, cultivating awareness and acceptance, consciously cultivating empathy for the people around you. All of these things take a tremendous amount of self-regulation. And one of the things that I found really fascinating was you had mentioned a study that found that self-control actually better predicts health, greater wealth, and lower crime, even accounting for intelligence and family background. What does that have to do with humility? That's a great question. Humility is hard work. It's hard. Your natural impulse is going to be to be selfish. Your natural impulse is to be is not necessarily going to be always to be empathic. We need self-control to override those impulses. So we need to override the impulse for selfishness. We need to override the impulse for a lack of empathy. And we need to remind ourselves, no, let's engage empathically. Let's prioritize humility. And it takes self-control to do that. And so linking that, if we can develop that muscle, that moral and mental muscle of acting with self-control and acting in according to our values, it is going to change your life because you move from operating out of autopilot to operating in a place that's more accordant with your authentic sense of self and your sense of values. And that's why it opens up the world into, into with more success, with more health and more well-being. Another argument you make is that progress, all any progress that we make actually requires humility. Is that because of the self-regulation that it takes to develop the humility in the first place that then kind of leaks through in our progress? Or is there another link? I think that's part of it. But I think another link is a sense of intellectual humility of saying, I don't know how to do something, or we don't have the solution to this problem. We clearly don't have the knowledge Let's go get that knowledge. Let's be curious. Let's be open. And then let's be teachable. What, what can I learn, either from other people, from other cultures, from this new discovery? But acknowledging that we don't have the answers right now, but we'd love to go get them. And so that requires both a, a, an acknowledgement and an owning of our own limitations, as well as embracing a sense of curiosity, teachability, and a desire to learn from the world around us. Mm. I recently interviewed Thomas Stirner, who wrote a book called The Practicing Mind, and it's all about how to love the process of practice. And he talks about that. The, the, one of the biggest things that gets in our way, which if anybody plays an instrument, does a sport, does anything that requires practicing, is you, you know how easy it is to beat yourself up and that automatically takes you out of flow, which is the part of the practice that is so beautiful to fall into. And so that I can see exactly how that is related to the humility that you need in order to be like, it's just a mistake, or this is the this is part of the process. And the only way I'm able to get to where I want to go is by being okay with not being perfect starting out. But you mentioned that it takes an intellectual humility. Isn't all humility intellectual? Yeah, so uh, that's a great question. I, I think that there are probably four different kinds of humility. So the humility we, we've mostly been talking about so far has been what I like to call relational humility. So humility that shows up in my relationships, whether that's with my partner, with my friends, at work. It's also an intellectual humility that has to do with uh, humility around ideas or attitudes or opinions that people have. A third kind of humility is cultural humility. So this is humility around ways of being or kind of ways of living life. So someone who is high on cultural humility realizes that their cultural worldview, their view of the world is not superior. And there are other ways of seeing the world, of, of living life that are equally valid and they're curious about learning from others. And then the fourth is what I call existential humility. And this, one, this is a fun one. This is the realization that in the grand scope of the universe, we're relatively small. <laughs> and appreciating our finitude and embracing our finitude, which allows us to kind of appreciate our place in nature and the cosmos and realize that we're not overly big. We're, we shouldn't be so self-aggrandized because truthfully, we're, we're kind of a speck <laughs> of dust in a very small amount of time when you kind of put us into perspective of history and space. Yeah. I always think of that phrase that comes up all the time. We're just tiny specks on a ball flying through space or I don't know who's in my audience. Maybe the other people are like, well, we're just tiny specks on this flat thing under a dome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who knows? I'm, I'm going to talk to the whole, the whole audience out there. And so I love giving my audience a 
practical challenge or, or something to focus on for the week to really ground in what we've been talking about. So if they were going to start anywhere, what would be the one thing that you would f- think would be most helpful for them to focus on this week to develop more humility? This week, what I would say is listen. So start with listening. So in the moment where you want to speak, pause and listen. Ask a clarifying question. Not like a lawyer, <laughs> but like uh, but like someone who's curious, right? So I would prioritize listening this week. Well, thank you so much for all of the research that you brought to this. It's funny because like you said, humility is a hard sell. And, and when I first came across it, I was like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder how interesting. And then I just started skimming and I was like, oh my gosh, this goes so much deeper than just this one aspect of a personality. It really does affect everything that you're doing and how you come across while you're doing it, both to other people, but also to yourself. And the behaviors that we maintain we see those and we form opinions and beliefs about ourselves. And so to really have that awareness to make sure that we're aligned with who we're meant to be is so powerful. So for listeners that are interested in learning more about you and your book, where's the best place that they can connect? So they can visit my website, uh, darylvantongren.com. They can follow me on Twitter at drvantongren or on Instagram at darylvantongren. All the links for this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 242. Your challenge for this week is to be humble. (laughs) And I'm going to give you some specifics because I think there are ways that we can also be really proud of ourselves and shout our wins and share what we've accomplished while also remaining totally humble while doing it. There are benefits to sharing your wins, both in the way that you're perceived, in what then people think you're capable of, and even the neurological, like the psychological effects of just being really proud of yourself and not being afraid to share what you've done. But if you're being honest with yourself, have you done it completely alone? Or has your partner been a support system that allowed you the space to do that? Has your team brought skills that you don't have or efforts, hard work, dedication? Did you have mentors or inspiration? So there are a lot of ways to be humble. And I think for me, one of the best ways to stay grounded in that is to not think of myself as an island. Realize that any success I have might be directly related to my hard work, but the only way I'd even be able to show up for that hard work is the people around me. So I think it's one of those really great balances of being able to talk ourselves up while also bringing others up with us. So let me know how it goes. Reach out to me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa or even better, publicly post. (laughs) Yes, be humble by publicly posting. (laughs) Maybe it's a shout out to your partner or a shout out to a team member. I'd like to see what you come up with. So let me know how it goes. If you'd like to support Mind Love, the best way to do that is by joining Mind Love Premium, where you get a ton of exclusive episodes that are only available for premium members. You get an ad-free listening experience, you get bonus meditations, you get early release episodes, all sorts of stuff. So you can do that at mindlove.com slash premium or right there in the Apple Podcasts app. You can also support one of my amazing sponsors at mindlove.com slash sponsors or leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And that's all for today. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. 